broadcasting from an undisclosed location, dispatches from elsewhere as a podcast sharing audio from the past, present, future, and never. Excelsior Industries presents the Supervillain Handbook, a self-actualization guide to being your very best supercriminal. Hello, welcome back. Last time we discussed what a supervillain is and how to acquire superpowers. Today we'll be talking all about theme. Are you obsessed with a particular historical figure? Do you strongly identify with a certain country or culture? Do you only have a baseline understanding of a certain country or culture, but you can do a bad accent? Does any animal have even a tangential connection to your powers or background? Have you sworn vengeance on a specific superhero? For as long as there have been superheroes and villains, those supers have dressed up in needlessly elaborate costumes and adopted unusual or even goofy accents. As mentioned previously, this is entirely in the service of cultivating fame and notoriety. Sterling Sentinel was one of the earliest superheroes. His costume was a silver leotard with a reflective cape, a knight's helm, and a silvery sword. His nemesis, the Iron Kaiser, wore a custom suit of boilerplate that gave him the appearance of Kaiser Wilhelm. Both adopted unusual speech patterns. Despite being from Brooklyn, Sterling Sentinel did his best to sound like a knight from the 16th century Europe. The Iron Kaiser adopted his best impression of a German aristocrat. In both cases, they failed miserably, but they also failed memorably. To this day, the average citizen, if asked, could do their own passable impression of either super without coaching. The public persona of a supervillain is calculated to be memorable and unique. There are so many competing for the social consciousness. They usually adopt a particular underlying theme that informs their public persona. It's not just a flashy costume. The most famous and successful villains have a whole act centered on their theme, a way of speaking, moving, and behaving that is generally over-the-top and theatrical. It should be noted that themes work best when working with a villain's existing attributes and abilities. A super-intelligent bear will have a very different theme than someone who has total mastery of action figures. We'll now go over some basic guidelines for strategies you can use to create your own villainous persona. These are only guidelines, so feel free to mix and match them with your own unique ideas. Far before the advent of supervillains, humans have found themselves identifying with animals. Ancient humanity valued animals' positive attributes and attempted to emulate them with costume, stylized movements, and calls. This practice has never stopped, merely morphing in new forms depending on the society. So it's no surprise that this practice is continued by supervillains. As mentioned previously, Grey Gator makes use of this theme. Being a nine-foot-tall alligator man makes it a natural choice. But you don't have to fit that literally to make use of the animal theme. Dr. Hyena took the name because of his involuntary laughing. Any of his other apparent animal attributes are the results of clever costuming and makeup. When selecting an animal to emulate, try to pick one that you have something in common with already. Or if you're still working on gaining your powers, pick an animal and attempt to gain powers that emulate that creature. If you're brave or crazy enough, some villains have found limited success simply irradiating their chosen animal and allowing it to bite or maul them. This type of power acquisition is firmly in the should-have-killed-you category, so tread lightly. Once you pick an animal appropriate to your abilities, the next step is to select a nom de guerre that reflects that animal connection. A straightforward animal man, woman, lad, or lass is a classic approach, but you might consider ditching the gendered term for a more neutral descriptor. Using colors is also popular, but any adjective could be used to set you apart. Furious Finch and Scarlet Toad are both memorable and largely descriptive of their abilities and appearance. Name in hand, you can start refining your costume. Costumes are extremely important. 
They express the kind of villain you are, and also serves as a villain's most important piece of protective gear. If you already possess visible animal attributes, then you can just design a costume for appearance and protection. Break out some paper and a pencil and just get drawing. Let the creative juices flow. When you have a design you like, and some idea of the other features you'll need, there are many independent shops where you can get it made. Some are even run by the retired mad scientist mentioned previously. It's important that you ask what kinds of protective features they can add. Being a supervillain is dangerous, and every bit helps. If your costume needs to supply some of the desired animal traits, then try to focus on features that are functional or cosmetic and don't impede you. You might consider a suit that mimics an animal's hide, a tail, or animal ears. A subtle addition might be colored contacts that mimic the eye shape of your selected animal. On the opposite end is a fully mechanized animal head helmet. With a good enough budget and the right know-how, the helmet could be very protective and include a powerful bite or other features appropriate to the animal. Costume finished, you'll just need to round out your look with gear to really sell it. This might be throwing knives shaped like butterflies, claws modeled after a lion's, a lightweight gliding rig shaped like wings, or a powerful taser to emulate an electric eel. Don't be afraid if the gear is slightly less functional because of the theme modifications. Functionality is always secondary to style. Don't be afraid to keep your animal theme less pronounced though. Not every villain is running around in a full mascot costume. A well-designed minimalist costume and the right name may very well be enough to make you a household name. One last consideration is whether you'll want to integrate animal-based puns into your banter. Many villains will attempt to reference their own animal theme when bantering. This is certainly a memorable choice, but it should be used sparingly. You aren't trying to cringe your opponents in this submission. Pun Lord has already cornered that market. Basing one's theme on a common career is an effective way to communicate what kind of villain they are. Any career is fair game so long as it has an identifiable uniform. This could be a literal one, such as a police officer's uniform, or just clothes closely associated, such as flannel on a lumberjack. The uniform doesn't even need to be accurate, just evocative. School mom dresses like popular culture's idea of a school teacher from the 1950s, complete with a pastel-colored dress, half-moon spectacles, hair in a bun, and her ruler of dominion. Fireman does a similar thing, but he subverts the theme by combining the uniform of a firefighter with his fire-spewing hose and predilection for arson. This combination is especially effective because his flame-retardant suit protects him from his own blazes and he only learned to use an axe because it fit his theme, making him a more effective combatant. Some themes will even lead to organic association with other villains. The Demolished Society is a coalition of a dozen villains who all conform to a construction theme, either as workers or the heavy equipment itself. They will often band together to accomplish tasks that they couldn't handle separately. Another note, due to the ubiquity of career-driven personas, you should try to avoid a career that is already heavily used in your area, or at least try to make certain that your take on the career is unique. Try to avoid the plight of Baker Man, the sous chef, and Avenging Gourmand. Cro-Magnon Mailman decided to combine an interest in the Postal Service with an enchanted club made from the thigh bone of a mastodon to create a unique look and persona, and it delivers. This allowed him to successfully begin his career, despite working in the same general area as the Pony Express Kid. In other words, strange combinations are not to be discounted. A foreign culture can be rich fodder for a villain looking for inspiration. You have literally the entirety of human history to draw upon for this avenue. Make use of internet resources and research far and wide. Don't worry about getting a deep understanding of any of them. Just browse them until you find something that clicks. At that point, you'll want to compose an outfit that communicates that culture, even if it only looks that way to an everyday citizen. It's important that the costume be more accurate to any films and other popular media the culture has appeared in. 
An example of this would be Leif the Mighty, a villain who models himself after Vikings. Despite Vikings never having worn horned helms, Leif is never seen without one. And his full plate armor is something that iron poor Norsemen would never have been able to afford or create. But that is how most American citizens view Vikings. So that's how Leif dresses. Authenticity always gives way to recognition. In another example of erroneous headgear, the Psy Bandito wears a Stetson cowboy hat, along with other markers of the classic cowboy image, an image created by spaghetti westerns. The Stetson, considered the quintessential hat of the Old West, was rarely worn by people we associate with the Old West, like Billy the Kid or Wild Bill Hickok. The hat was considered too expensive by most. He also rides a robot horse, but I think we can safely assume that's a more utilitarian decision. If you're interested in using a culture, but not sure which one to pick, just try to figure out what accents you can imitate. This doesn't have to be a good accent, and odds are that it won't be. Just remember that you're playing a character, and attempt to construct a personality that fits the stereotype you're using. Highlander's accent is about as authentic as a politician's smile, but combined with his cartoonish approximation of Highland dress, he communicates his theme effectively. Various subcultures shouldn't be discounted either. Most villains will opt for the rich and well-documented subcultures of the last hundred years, but you shouldn't feel constrained. Feel free to explore as deeply as you wish. Swallowing Darkness draws her aesthetic from the goth subculture. Her control over shadows and negative emotions makes it a natural choice. Her powers complement the theme so well that all she needed was some white makeup and black eyeliner to complete the look. And since this theme has deep roots, Swallowing Darkness can change her exact wardrobe every day and still stay recognizable as long as she conforms to stereotypical goth aesthetic. Bohemian, beatnik, or brony, all are viable options. You may consider building a persona around a subculture you actually belong to. I would urge you to reconsider. Masquerading as an exaggerated member of a subculture while committing crimes rarely ingratiates you to that group. Lady Mary Jane's very public destruction of several bridges led her to being shunned by the stoner culture she'd been a member of for decades. Although this technically falls under careers, the sports theme is so popular a theme that I'll be addressing it separately. The variety and popularity of sports makes it a favorite choice for many athletic villains. Costuming is straightforward, often with easy ways to design and protective features. An important early decision to make is which sport or sports you are incorporating. Tennis Pro went with an extremely simple costume, designed to emulate a tennis player's lightweight athletic clothing, his only concession being a reinforced racket and trick tennis balls. Olympian draws her style and attendant weaponry from the Summer Olympics. Her motif draws on a gymnastic fighting style, but she also makes heavy use of a bow and arrow, a rapier, and sometimes a shot put or javelin. A villain interested in directing a large number of henchpeople may select a team sport. Thrasher acts as the quarterback of the Metropolis Murderers, a team of cyborg football players who are each banned from the sport. Knight directs a team of mind-controlled minions as a coach. For some reason, his powers only work on at least collegiate basketball players. Knight rarely fights himself, but he does keep a sturdy folding chair handy, should he ever have to intervene. If you've entered the world of supervillainy due to desire for revenge on a superhero, you may wish to frame your theme as in some way opposed to theirs. You might wear a similar costume, but with a swap color palette, or use a name that suggests you're the opposite of them. Freedom Fighter's greatest foe, after all, was the oppressor. If you haven't gained powers yet, you could even attempt to gain a similar power set, like Pied Piper and Booming Bassoonist. Or a diametrically opposing power, like Lady Positivity and Negative Nelly. This theme is heavily dependent on your continually and publicly harassing and targeting your chosen hero. So make sure you're close enough to affect them or make plans to move closer to them. When you select a hero to target, 
please be careful. Just because you hold a grudge doesn't mean you're on the same level. Tesseract has had many arch nemeses. Most don't survive past their first meeting. When the League of Undead Presidents attacked the White House and replaced the current president, we were forced to contend with Richard Nixon finishing his final term along with Vice President Ann Boo Jackson. And while we're no longer under their undead boot heel, Nixon had finally finished his second term and Jackson lost to Malia Obama. Everyone was reminded of the power of themes based on historical or literary figures. We'll be discussing them together due to most historical figures being, at least partially, distorted by popular culture, and even historians. We may never know if the League truly was made up of deceased presidents. They certainly were undead. You too can tap into the spirit of a historical figure. Some who take up the mantle will claim to truly be that figure, like our 49th and possibly 37th president. Others may simply attempt to evoke that person, like Madame Curie Jr., the radioactive radical, or Poe, destroyer of worlds. The person or character chosen should be someone memorable and already well-known in the public consciousness, which is how the villain who started his career as a fencing master, Francesco Alfieri, swiftly changed his name to D'Artagnan. Taking on the mantle of such a figure requires careful costuming and acting. You'll want to allude to the character's established past often and in other small ways. Be constantly reminding anyone in earshot who you are. Actually, that's good advice for any villain. If you actually happen to be a historical figure somehow brought to the present or revived in a horrible semblance of life, pay attention to this section too. Your actual knowledge of how you behaved, looked like, and sounded may lead you astray. It would be best for you to research the prevailing narrative of your life and what is commonly known about you currently. Many myths will likely have been attached to you during your time away. When a time-displaced Napoleon Bonaparte attempted to start a career in supervillainy, he was disgusted to find out the common citizen wouldn't accept him, largely due to the false notion that Napoleon was extremely short. Rather than attempt to shift public perception, Napoleon instead chose to rebrand himself as l'Empereur. Literary figures have it somewhat easier. All the Dark Lord formerly known as Sauron needed to be convincing was an off-putting voice and a burning eye motif. His horde of extremely convincing Urukai helped too, though. There are no strict guidelines for designing a theme. Past villains have successfully mixed and matched the aforementioned options, or even purposely chosen confusing or contradictory combinations. Wombat Man uses that name despite not having a single accessory, power, or piece of equipment that is suggestive of a wombat. Many think he selected his name to purposely confuse the populace, thereby becoming firmly lodged in the public consciousness. Stabacorn is another perfect example, as she is a villain known mostly for cybercrimes and in no way resembles a unicorn, in or out of costume. With all of these very specific avenues discussed, I won't leave out a more general category. Just do something exciting. Your theme could simply be an interesting name, a flamboyant costume, and a singular personality. Plenty of villains follow this approach. Creating a wholly new persona without leaning on expectations to do the work for you can be exciting, but it can be difficult too. It may be wise to still take some cues from the two groups that are closest in nature to supervillains, professional wrestlers and rock stars. Both trade on personality and unique style. They form stage personas and learn how to evoke strong emotions from their fans. They can both be a useful resource for beginning villains. I'll leave you with some general advice now. Take some acting classes or join an improv group. The skills you gain will be valuable for any villain. Don't be afraid of the absurd. A carefully crafted absurdity could just be what you need to garner attention. Take your time. 
you're no doubt very eager to begin your career, but a theme is important and deserves careful consideration. Don't become stuck. If you do settle on a theme and it doesn't work for you, dump it. Villains constantly reinvent themselves. Things can go wrong or get stale, so be okay with change. Do your research, and you too can become a groundbreaking villain. Next time, we'll be talking about hench people and minions. I'll see you there. The Supervillain Handbook was written and voiced by Ben McGinnis. Special thanks to Katie McGinnis and me, Susie Guatney. Thanks!